0: Have we forgotten that Christmas is the celebration of an unborn child? I fear we have. If we grasped all that Advent and Christmas means, we would not treat it so lightly. We would tremble, we would remember, and we would be living altogether differently. The story of Christmas is the most pro-life message in Scripture. We will tell that story, how Christians should prepare for the advent of the prenatal Christ and share a hard teaching from Christ for Christian progressives who abandoned the pre-born at the ballot box. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Welcome to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. Thank you guys for tuning in today. Merry Christmas, happy Advent. Christmas, obviously, right around the corner, and it's wonderful to be with you guys in a season where we're celebrating the most famous, the most popular unborn child to have ever lived, our Savior who entered human history in a womb that he once created, the prenatal Christ. And so today, I just wanted to sort of step aside and take some time to celebrate the prenatal Christ. If you're a religious person, if you're a Protestant or a Catholic, then obviously uh, this episode is for you. If not, then I encourage you to still listen and to ponder these deep truths. And to ponder the gospel, the gospel that has driven, motivated, and empowered the church, the capital C Church, to be the ones on the front lines for all of human history, loving the least among us. Maybe there's something there. Maybe there's a reason why and a message for you. So please remain tuned in. If you haven't given this show a rating and review yet, please do that. It really helps us a lot, helps us reach more people. um, And uh, we want to do that. We're here to change minds, change hearts, save lives, and equip you to stand for life as well. Well, what is Advent? Well, Advent in Latin means coming, right? It means the coming of Christ. Christ came to us, put on human flesh as the God-man and dwelled in a womb that he once knit together, the incarnation. Probably a truth that blows the mind of religious people and Christians more than any other truth. Because for all of human history, kings sort of sneered down their nose at those that they ruled. Kings didn't dwell among the people. Kings didn't sort of uh, make themselves less in order to identify with the least of these. And so you have the creator of the universe, the singular Yahweh, one God, stepping down into history to identify with us and becoming vulnerable, becoming weak, and allowing himself to be abused. So that's what we remember. That's what we prepare for is the coming of the prenatal Christ. And that's what Advent is specifically designed for, is for Christians to remember and prepare for the coming of Christ who came as a zygote, an embryo, a fetus, but fully human and fully God the whole time. So we're going to go through a little bit of that story and then talk about how we prepare and also what these truths in the Christmas story mean for religious people, mean for the pro-life movement and why this all matters. So we're going to kind of read through parts of Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel today. And uh, you know, you'll know, you be reading this together, hopefully as a family and a church. So hang out with me and we'll read this Christmas story together, but specifically in the framework of life and why the Christmas story is the most pro-life message in all of scripture. So in Luke 1, we read that God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. You know how most parents wonder or hope that their children will uh, live better lives than them, exceed them? (laughs) I think Mary had those fears set to rest pretty quickly. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Incredible. Incredible. Think that this really happened. Now, Mary is more than likely a teenager, remember, okay? Mary may be 15 years old. She's unmarried, she's engaged to be married to Joseph, and this is during a time of real gender inequality, right? Where women were often stoned for adultery. Right? The left talks about the sort of the, the gender inequality and sexism in our country. Uh, okay, okay, sure, whatever. This is the time when women could be stoned if their husbands wanted them to be, or certainly if they were unfaithful. And she's supposed to tell her family, friends, and fiance that she is pregnant but hasn't had sex. <laughs> sure, Mary, sure, right? She has all of this going on in her head right now. And Joseph could easily disown her, and he would be praised for it. That would be, that he would be seen as being honorable for having done that, for disowning his fiance who obviously was unfaithful because she's pregnant and they hadn't consummated their marriage. In fact, they weren't even married yet. Her family would abandon her. She would be shunned by all who knew her. And the scandal of this pregnancy would follow her son his entire life and he'd be called a bastard. Ah, huh. oh, Wow. These are all the things going on in Mary's head when an angel approaches her and says that she's going to be pregnant with the creator of the universe who once knit Mary together in Mary's mother's womb, in Jesus's grandmother's womb. Unreal, right? And of course, uh, Mary meets all of the Planned Parenthood prospect checkboxes, if you will. This is the exact kind of woman that Planned Parenthood looks to prey on, right? Young, unmarried, no financial stability, a boyfriend that's unfaithful or or, or not uh, sort of, you know, not sure if he's going to be around, a family structure that might uh, disintegrate if she says that she is facing an unplanned pregnancy. And no way to support herself by herself. That's the exact kind of woman Planned Parenthood is looking for. And that's the exact kind of woman that many people are in a cultural culture will encourage to get an abortion, right? You can't do this by yourself, right? And they're going to say that uh, pretending that they're not sexist, as if it's not sexist to tell a woman that she doesn't have the inward strength of soul to embrace motherhood for the child she's already a mother to and accomplish everything else as well. No, you can't. You can't do that. That's actually sexist. So the left will tell you that real strength means choosing you choosing you, and blasting away any obstacle on your path to success and achievement, even if that means blasting away a few unborn babies that you created through flings in order to achieve your career goals. They will tell you that hard circumstances are something to be conquered and obliterated in your pursuit of happiness. They'll say that embracing difficulty is not strength. That's weakness. That's weakness to fall prey to obstacles in your life that would prevent you from doing you and achieving all of your dreams. And yet... Faced with fear and difficulty beyond what any woman, any woman in an unplanned pregnancy in 2020 in America can imagine. Mary replies to this angel and says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. A teenager. Everything going on in her brain. I could be stoned. My hus- my fiance will leave me. My family will disown me. I'll be labeled a pariah. My son will be called a bastard. I'll have no way to support myself. <laughs> and this is already... Before she's even pregnant, this is the angel telling her what's going to happen. And her response is, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She embraces her difficult circumstances as a cross to bear, as a privilege, as a blessing, as an honor to be pregnant with this child. Before she is even pregnant, Mary consents to a virgin conception with full awareness of the scandal that will follow her, the possibility of losing her family and fiance and even being stoned. That is not weakness. That is strength. And it's a strength that our society and culture are in sore need of. Now, because the left and the pro-abortion movement view the body as a shell with no bearing on the real us, because they embrace Gnostic dualism, which says that the physical world doesn't matter, only the spiritual things matter, then embracing the physical suffering and inconvenience of pregnancy, especially at great cost to yourself, is foolishness. That makes no sense to the left. That's why they would view Mary as weak. That's why they would view other woman, women as foolish or weak for enduring and embracing their difficult circumstances. Because they have this very mystic and religious view of the soul and of the body and of the human person, which is that the physical doesn't matter. These bodies are just shells and we can treat them however we want. They don't affect us. In the real us is our spirit, our soul. The spiritual things are all that matter. So why go through physical inconvenience and suffering? What's the point of that? It's meaningless, is what the left will say. But by embracing that Gnostic dualism, that separation of the person, the body, and the soul, our opponents miss the greatest secret. But Mary knew that secret. The greatest secret, well, first of all, is that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world, right? We we know that we're going to have trouble suffering. That's a guarantee from God. But the secret that they miss out on is that suffering sanctifies us because it reveals that we are not strong and we cannot always overcome and obliterate through difficult life circumstances. That creates humility and an acknowledgement that we need help, right? Help. (laughs) We can't get through this alone, God. We need you to intervene. Our opponents miss the greatest secret, which Mary understood even as a teenager, which is that suffering sanctifies us and to suffer on behalf of our savior should be counted a privilege and a blessing, right? This is sort of the upside down kingdom of the kingdom of God. And the Bible tells us this, right? St. Paul tells us in Second Corinthians regarding a thorn in his side, an actual physical ailment of suffering that he was enduring. He asked God to take it away from him And the Lord replies and says, My my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, (laughs) so that Christ's power may rest on me, his power. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Hmm. So if you really wanted to have strength, to obliterate everything in your life and overcome. Well, there's a strength available to you that you can't just wish up or create yourself. It's the strength of the one who created you, who wants to work through you. It is in the weakness of suffering, physical or emotional, that we become strong when we allow Christ and all his strength to fill us. Mary understood this. And in Mary's life, Christ was filling her, right? Both spiritually and physically. Quite literally, Christ was growing inside her womb. St. Paul tells us again in Romans that we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So these tribulations and sufferings, they make us better people. They they build character. Character builds hope because we realize where our hope is. That's why he says, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. That's a hope. That's a strength. That's a perseverance that we can't just wish up ourselves. Mary knew the secret to the good life was emptying herself, admitting her own weaknesses, laying down her life and her quote-unquote rights, and allowing God to take her on the greatest adventure of a lifetime, conceiving, birthing, and raising the creator of the universe. That is an adventure. And God wants to extend that adventure to all of us. But as long as we trust in our own strength and insist that the physical doesn't matter so don't endure suffering that's sillish. that's silliness that's foolishness that's a fool's errand you just ignore those things and you do you and you pursue your own happiness we're actually missing out on the greatest strength the greatest victories and the greatest adventure that's a holistic view that's a pro-woman view to tell women that they do have the inward strength of soul to accomplish and bear these sufferings and burdens that they may be given in this life in order to find where real strength and hope come from. So we're going to get to more of that next about sort of the beauty of the Christmas story and what it means for us as pro-lifers. But first, if you like this show and want to hear more great content and commentary from the front lines of the abortion wars and the pro-life movement, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash unaborted and become a patron of the show. If you can spend uh, what you might spend on one or two lattes a month or even more, if you'd like, check out our tiers and our perks, which you'll have by supporting the show is just a little thank you. And your support enables us to create more content, improve the production quality of our content, begin taking these sort of interactions and content and ideas to young people on college campuses and in the public square And sort of creating that cognitive dissonance, as we said last week, exposing the metaphysical schizophrenia of abortion rights arguments and welcoming them back into reality. We need to contend for truth in the public square, and your support helps us do that. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash unaborted, and we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Welcome back to the show, and we're going to continue sort of just our celebration of the prenatal Christ and of Advent this season as we remember and prepare for the coming of the prenatal Christ into human history. So Mary is possessed of the greatest secret, right? She understands that the secret to the good life is in giving yourself away and enduring joyfully the sufferings that we have in this life because we can take heart and be of good cheer. Christ has overcome the world. And when we are weak, then we are strong for Christ's power rests on us and empowers us. With all of that in mind, we read more of the Christmas story. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. I want you to think about this for a second. The first person to recognize Jesus was an unborn child. The first person, human, to recognize Christ, to recognize Jesus in human flesh was an unborn child, John the Baptist. So the prenatal John the Baptist recognizes the prenatal God who is at that moment knitting John together in the womb. Because <laughs> the psalmist tells us that God knit us together in our mother's womb for we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And who is Jesus but fully man and fully God, but a member of the Trinity? Jesus is God. God. So the prenatal God is knitting together the prenatal John the Baptist while they're both in their mother's wombs and the first person to recognize Christ was an unborn child. If that doesn't tell you something about God's heart for life, about God's heart for our preborn neighbors, I don't know what will. If you're a Protestant or Catholic, if you're a Christian and you believe in the scriptures— then you'll know God's heart for life. So Mary rejoices over these truths. And an angel tells Joseph to remain, remain with Mary and baby Jesus, quote, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you were to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And does Joseph pressure her to have an abortion? Does Joseph throw her out into the public square and disown her? No, Joseph mans up and embraces an unplanned pregnancy for a child he did not father. We can't even get men to step up and father their own children that they created through a consensual act of sex. This is a real man embracing an unplanned pregnancy, all of the scandal that will create in his own life for a child he did not father. So the story continues. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. Yeah, I would be too. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So the creator of the universe, the singular most powerful being who breathed out stars, who laughed animals into existence, who dropped oceans, chooses to enter time, which he created, and human history in a womb he once created, Mary Now, Hebrews tells us that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way we are, yet without sin. But that high priest, you guys, identified with you at your weakest and most vulnerable stage, your prenatal stage. Christ didn't enter human history as an infant, a toddler, a teenager, or an adult. He entered human history as a zygote, an embryo, and a fetus, identifying with you at every stage of your own existence. The God-man puts on fetal flesh and advents to us in the most unexpected manner, vulnerable, weak, and letting himself be abused. What if there was half as much excitement and preparation for unborn babies today, created in the image of the prenatal Christ, as there was for Jesus in 1 B.C.? The shepherds traveling to see him. The magi and the wise men traveling hundreds of miles to lay gifts at the feet of the child Jesus. And we're going to get to some of the more events that were happening from evil figures who were focused on killing Christ. But what if there was as much preparation and excitement to welcome and care for unborn babies today who were created in the image of that Christ as there was in 1 BC for Jesus? Why won't we as Christians do for good what the other side will do for evil? Why aren't we as motivated and devoted and committed to protecting babies created in the image of our Savior as the other side is to attacking and profiting off of killing those image bearers? You see, the Christmas message and the Christmas story, which is the sort of Beginning of the gospel, I guess Genesis is the beginning of the gospel, but it's, it's the entry of the gospel into human flesh ought to provide the theological motivation and spiritual motivation for us to protect these children for our own Savior identified with us as a fetus. But as in our time, evil entered the picture. People who have an incentive to kill babies begin implementing their plan. And that was as true in 1 BC as it is today. Who am I talking about? King Herod. King Herod doesn't like how the existence and presence of this baby Christ will affect his way of life, right? The king of the Jews is going to be born. King Herod doesn't like that. He's a king. He can't have anyone threatening his throne. So what's his solution? Kill him. That's his solution to a baby creating sort of inconvenient circumstances for himself And so, back to the Christmas story. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, amazingly, King Herod fails, or providentially. And this is due in no small part to the presence of a godly man in the picture. Right? Joseph. The life and presence of the unborn Jesus will affect and change Joseph's way of life as well. In a different way than King Herod's. But his life has just been spinned a doozy. He's just been thrown a curveball. And many men face the same dilemma today. But tragically, like cowards, most choose the route of Herod, don't they? The route of Herod. Which is what? Kill the problem. And if that problem happens to be a human, so be it. But Joseph shows us that real men protect and defend women and children. Back to the Christmas story. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. Joseph shows us that a present father who says yes to an unplanned pregnancy, yes to raising a child, not his own, and yes to all the ways in which his own plans in life will be changed can fundamentally alter history. Never underestimate the power of one man choosing life and defending that life. He could have told the angel, no, you know, forget it. Go kick kick rocks. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to flee all the way to Egypt, uproot my life, my livelihood, my career. You kidding me? This is an inconvenience to me. I didn't ask for this. This isn't fair. No, Joseph mans up, embraces the hard circumstances that no, not that he's been cursed with, that he's been blessed to endure by God, fathering the creator of the universe. Never underestimate the power of one man choosing life and defending that life and altering human history forever. Courage unleashes miracles because courage is the prerequisite to all other virtues, isn't it? If you don't have courage, you're not going to implement or act upon any other virtue. And the courage of Mary and Joseph unleashed the greatest miracle and story we have ever seen or heard. We're going to get to more a little bit about how we can prepare for the advent of that prenatal Christ and also discuss why Christmas and Advent demands a pro-life ethic and action. But first, I want to tell you about an awesome way to make your pro-life voice heard, especially this Christmas season, while also supporting pregnancy resource centers that are on the front lines of this fight. And I'm talking about our new sponsor, Be Blessed Baby. Be Blessed Baby is a new company trying to make a difference in the fight for the unborn. Be Blessed Baby sells pro-life clothing for babies and adults and some cool masks you can wear. If you've got to wear them anyways, you might as well rep your pro-life beliefs. And it is a unique way to help raise money for pregnancy centers. The goal of Be Blessed Baby is to help save as many babies as they can from abortion. So get your apparel now. All right, head on over to www.beblessedbaby.com. That's beblessedbaby.com. Let them know that we sent you and show the world that you are proudly pro-life. Stick around and we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Welcome back to the show. So how do we as people of faith prepare for the advent of Christ, right? We've talked about why the Christmas story is the most pro-life story in scripture and what that means for us and kind of what truths we can draw from that. But how do we prepare for the advent of Christ? How do we remember and prepare for the coming of the prenatal God? Well, I don't think we can remember or prepare any better than the mother of Christ did. And if you remember the Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke, you'll remember Mary's song that she begins to sing after being with her cousin Elizabeth and pondering these beautiful and wonderful truths as she's pregnant with the creator of the universe. And her song, I think is the best thing that we can turn to to remember and then that remembrance leading to preparation for the entry of our Savior. So let's read this from Luke 1, Mary's song upon pondering and all of these beautiful things that are happening to her. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state. Away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And then in the next chapter in Luke, we read that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Yeah, she had a lot of things to ponder. (laughs) Probably the most famous female in human history to be pregnant with God. And her prayer and her song has a lot in there for us. It's not just about her humble state that God is honoring and, and magnifying and choosing to use for his purposes. But there's a lesson in here for all of us, isn't there? That he is scatters those who are proud in their inmost thoughts, right? God opposes the proud but gives mercy to the humble. He sends the hungry away with good things but the rich away with empty things. And blessed are those who fear him. He extends mercy to those who Fear him, this is the state that God wants his people's heart to be in. And this was the response of Mary the entire time to the angel saying, be 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 as it as that you have said, thank you for having mercy on your humble servant. And so this is how we remember we dwell on these things and we ponder them in our hearts, but that that pondering, that remembering, if you will, that orthodoxy ought to lead to orthopraxy, ought to lead to action, ought to lead to preparation. So how do we prepare for the advent of Christ? Well, we keep our lamps burning. We be about our father's business, right? The scary message in the parable of the 10 virgins in Matthew is that five of the virgins did not bring oil with them to keep their lamps burning. And so when the bridegroom came, they had to run and get more oil. In the meantime, the other five virgins who had their oil brought the bridegroom into the banquet hall and the doors were shut. And when the other five virgins showed up with their oil, they couldn't get inside. Keep your lamps burning, be awake, be alert and be about your father's business. Well, what is our father's business? How do we prepare? How do we engage? Well, we can summarize how we're supposed to prepare, how we're supposed to engage by looking at the teachings of Christ. All the law and the prophets hang on two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That summarizes all that we need to do. Christ says, if if you keep these commandments, you've kept the entire law. Love Others love God, love God, love your neighbor. So is the unborn our neighbor? Well, if the unborn is our neighbor, then it's actually part of our preparation and duty to love them. And yet, and yet, while pro-life Christians recognize that their celebration of the pre-born Christ requires their protection of every pre-born baby created in the image of the prenatal Christ, more and more progressive Christians are abandoning the pre-born at the ballot box. They don't view their action, their vote to protect babies created in the image of the very Savior that you're celebrating entering human history in a womb as part and parcel of their duty or their great commission or their command to love their neighbor. These woke Christians actually insist that their obedience to the great commission and loving neighbor doesn't allow them to vote for a sinful president who is saving image bearers from dismemberment. But what they forget is that you cannot tell your neighbor you love them, but that it should also be legal to kill them. And they say, no, I'm not saying it should be legal to kill them. Well, you voted for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, or you refused to use your vote in order to stop the slaughter in the first place. Let me be clear. If you voted for Kamala Harris or Joe Biden and claimed the name of Christ, your Christmas worship may not be to the real Christ, but rather one created in your image. Hard words. You cannot celebrate Advent and prepare to welcome the prenatal, prenatal Christ from womb to world while voting to murder babies created in his image in the same location. You cannot prepare to celebrate the six-inch journey of our Savior from mother's Mary's womb to her arms while refusing to vote to help in the genocide of babies our Savior knit together. That's what made that story of Elizabeth and Mary so phenomenal is that the prenatal John the Baptist recognized the prenatal God who was knitting John together in the womb at that same moment because Jesus is God and Jesus was Jesus from the moment of conception. <clears throat> and yet these woke Christian progressives among us tell us that it's actually in obedience to the Great Commission that they're voting for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. It's in obedience to the Great Commission that they're not voting at all because they can't use that vote to uh, attach it to a sinful person or, par- or party. I shudder to think of the worship, the Christmas worship of Christians to the prenatal Christ while those same progressive Christians voted to murder babies created in the image of that Savior that was knit together. And why? Why? Because of your witness? You can't vote to end the genocide of baby image bearers created in the image of the prenatal Christ because of your witness? What hubris, what pride. Maybe you should read the Song of Mary, that God loves a lowly heart, a lowly state That he turns away the prideful. While the world began preparing for the selling and receiving of stuff, many Christians couldn't even prepare for their unborn Messiah by penciling in a bubble on a ballot that could end the genocide of our neighbors who live in the same location that this season creates such awe around. Awe around the womb. For Christians, that's why the season is so awe-filled, wonder-filled. is because our Savior entered a womb and became a zygote, a fetus, an embryo. And yet you won't even fill in a bubble on a ballot that could end the genocide of those neighbors who live in the same location. You know, Christ had some hard words for all of us. For those of us who refuse to love those among us. And what is more easier? What is an easier way to love neighbor? than making it illegal to kill neighbor. By using political tools in a constitutional republic where you're the most powerful sovereign entity ever and using that sovereignty and that vote to end genocide of neighbors. What could be a more simple way to love your neighbor? Stand in line for five minutes to vote and fill in a bubble that could end the genocide of God's image bearers. God has some words to say in the Gospel of Matthew for those who refuse to love neighbors. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Yikes. Frightening words. Words that frighten and humble me ought to frighten and humble all of us. James tells us that whoever knows the right thing to do but fails to do it, for him it is sin. So if we know that the right thing is to vote in such a way as to end the genocide of neighbors, and we're called to love our neighbor and the unborn is a neighbor, and it's created in the image of our prenatal Christ who we're celebrating the advent into human history in— And then we're told that if you refuse to love a neighbor and look by them and walk by on the other side of the road that like the Levite and the priest did with the bleeding victim in the parable of the Good Samaritan, then you're not doing that to Christ. So rather you are neglecting to love Christ. You're not doing these things unto him. So unless these woke Christian progressives are going to celebrate Christmas while simultaneously telling us that they would not vote to end Roe versus Wade if it was endorsed in the first century, making it legal to abort the prenatal Christ, then I don't know what Christ they're worshiping. Certainly not the same prenatal one I'm worshiping this Advent, this Christmas. You cannot celebrate Advent and prepare to welcome the prenatal Christ from womb to world while voting to murder babies created in his image in the same location. You cannot prepare to celebrate the six-inch journey of our Savior from Mary's womb to her arms while refusing to vote to help end the genocide of babies our Savior knit together. These are hard words. These are hard teachings. But this is what Christmas is all about. Our duty, our desire, our obligation to love our pre-born neighbors, starting by voting to end killing them, is, is done. Because we have God's love, we don't do it to earn God's love. We we have it because we've already recognized that God has entered human history as a fetus, was grown and raised by a woman he once created, died and allowed himself to be beaten and abused so we could have our sins forgiven so we, he becomes our advocate pleading our case before the Father. An advocate is someone who speaks up for someone else. So if Christ spoke up for us when we were utterly incapable of doing so, how can we not speak up for unborn children who are equally unable to speak up for themselves? Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, probably. Proverbs 31:8, we are also those who cannot speak up for themselves apart from the gospel of grace, freely offered and hopefully <clears throat> freely received. So you see the Christmas story, the gospel which began in a womb, is the motivation, is the salvific firepower behind why pro-lifers care about saving children in the womb. So if you worship the prenatal Christ and celebrate his advent into Mary's womb this season, but you voted to murder other babies in wombs or neglected to use your vote to end that genocide, you might not be worshiping the same Christ. Think about that. Shudder over that. Tremble, remember, and prepare for the advent of Christ. I want to leave you with this. This is from Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. He's a Catholic. I'm not. I'm a Protestant but I know many Catholics because I work alongside them in ending abortion. And they've been more faithful than Protestants. And he wrote a rosary for the unborn. And it's quite beautiful. And I want to close with this because Father Frank Povone is actually explaining why the gospel is, the stimulus is, the, the, the power, the motivation behind why we seek to save babies from abortion, which starts with our vote. So he says these are joyful mysteries. The annunciation is that Mary is troubled by the angel's greeting yet rejoices to do God's will. Let us pray that those who are troubled by their pregnancy may have the grace to trust in God's will. Then the visitation. John the Baptist leapt for joy in his mother's womb. We pray that people may realize that abortion is not about children who might come into the world, but is about children who are already in the world, living and growing in the womb, and are scheduled to be killed. And the nativity, God himself was born as a child. The greatness of a person does not depend on size, for the newborn king is very small. Let us pray for an end to prejudice against the tiny babies threatened by abortion the presentation the child is presented in the temple because the child belongs to god children are not the property of their parents nor of the government they and we belong to god himself the finding of jesus in the temple the boy jesus was filled with wisdom because he is god let us pray that all people may see the wisdom of his teachings and the dignity of life and may understand that this teaching is not an opinion but the truth Father Frank Pavone talks about luminous mysteries. Christ is baptized in the Jordan. When Jesus is baptized, the Father's voice is heard. This is my beloved son. All are called to become adopted sons and daughters of God through baptism. We pray that children in the womb may be protected so that they may be born and welcomed into the Christian community by baptism. Christ is made known at the wedding of Cana. Jesus revealed his glory by the miracle at Cana. The new couple was blessed not only with wine, but with faith in Christ. Let us pray for strong marriages rooted in the Lord and open to the gift of new life. Christ proclaims the kingdom and calls all to conversion. Repent and believe the good news, he says. Let us pray that these first words of Jesus' public ministry may be heard by all who have committed abortions. May they know that the Lord calls them to conversion, and may they experience life-giving repentance. The transfiguration, Christ is transformed on the mountain, and the disciples see his glory. May the eyes of all people be transformed, that they may see each and every human life as a reflection of the glory of God himself. Jesus gives the Eucharist. This is my body given up for you. The Eucharist teaches us how to live and how to love. Let us pray that parents who sacrifice the babies for the sake of themselves may learn instead to put themselves aside for the sake of their babies, as Mary exemplifies. And glorious mysteries, the resurrection. Christ is risen. By his resurrection, he has destroyed the power of death and therefore the power of abortion. The outcome of the battle for life has already been decided. Life is victorious. Let us pray that all pro-lifers will spread this victory to every segment of our society and the ascension. By ascending to the Father's throne, Christ takes our human nature given to us in the womb to the heights of heaven. He shows us that human beings are made to be raised to heaven, not thrown in the garbage. Let us pray that the world may learn this truth and reject abortion. You see, the gospel itself, the Christian good news that the creator of the universe entered human history in a womb to redeem us and give us repentance of sins if we turn, began in the womb. That story began at Christmas. That story began when Christ was conceived in the womb of Mary. And that story provides not just the hope of eternal life for humanity, but also the motivation, and the spiritual firepower behind why we care about this issue at all. We seek to save pre-born children because they're created in the image of God and because we once dwelled in a womb, but our mothers were pro-life and made the right choice. And so we were entered into the world and out of our mother's womb to be met with loving arms and not forceps. And so we seek to save and spare all children from those forceps. This is the truth of the Christmas season. This is the beauty of the celebration of advent and these truths and this began when Christ advented with us in one BC and we celebrate that this advent season. So celebrate with me, ponder these truths truths in your heart like Mary once did and share this episode with people who say they love Christ and are going to celebrate Christmas this season and yet might not be celebrating and worshiping the same Christ if they voted to murder babies in the same location our Savior entered human history in. A womb. Well, thanks for joining me today. Merry Christmas to you. Head on over to iTunes and YouTube and Spotify. Give this show a rating and review so we can reach more people. It actually does a lot for us. And if you want to learn more and engage with me online, head on over to sethgruber.com S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B is in babyboyer.com to sign up for my newsletter and get more content and equipping delivered to your um, inbox. Check out my speaking schedule. We'll have a new website here for you soon and you'll be able to view our Patreon tiers as well to support the show. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted.